Welcome to Sourced, a podcast about the art of audience engagement at a time when competition for attention has never been greater. What works, what doesn't work, and what's changing. Sourced is brought to you by 55 Comms. We've been telling stories, learning about audiences, and helping clients for more than 25 years. There's not much Stephen Green doesn't know about Australia's music industry. As the founder of SGC Media, Stephen has been a publicist for some of the country's biggest music acts. His program Big Sound, the nation's best music conference and showcase for new artists. And he's added publisher to his resume with the purchase of music media outlets, including themusic.com.au. But Stephen had another trick to his bow in late 2021, when he joined with Bird Enthusiasts to drive the production of an album designed to raise awareness and funds for the protection of Australia's native bird life, while also holding a hope that the album could make a miraculous run up the charts. It did just that. Songs of Disappearance, featuring bird noises only, reached number three on the charts behind only Adele and Ed Sheeran. And it was done with zero marketing budget and without a musical instrument in sight. Here's a story of how that album of songbirds almost knocked off the biggest songbird in the world. My name is Michael Crutcher. Welcome to this edition of Sourced. Stephen Green, welcome to the Sourced podcast. It's great to have you here. It feels a bit unusual because we go back a little way. We spent eight years together on the board of a not-for-profit organisation. And in those eight years, you were always the king of the witty one-liners in board meetings. So no pressure here, Greeny. We look forward to some fantastic one-liners coming up. Well, uh, now the pressure's on because if I don't come up with any witty one-liners, then everyone will be uh, wondering what you're talking about. But let's, let's yeah, see how we go, shall pressure's we? Pressure's on. <laughs> you work in the music industry and have for a long time. To people who love music, that must sound like a really good job. Uh, I'm, I'm sure it does sound like a really good job. And, and you know, to be fair, it is. Um, I mean, you know, there's there's definitely, uh, you know, it's not all beer and Skittles, but, um, you know, that anybody that works in it and, and doesn't feel thankful for being able to do something that they love, I think, um, you know, isn't, isn't trying hard enough and... I mean, everything. Everyone's different. Not everyone's into music, but um, but yeah, to be able to, it's been twenty two years, twenty three years or something now. Um, to, to be able to not have to get a real job is, uh, is is something that I'm grateful for every day. I think. So, what got you into a career in the music industry in the first place? Because you did go and study journalism for a while, but you thought after a bit that maybe that wasn't the career for you. Yeah, I, I got a got a year through that, and then decided that uh, you know I, I think it was it's about ten percent doing uni work and fifty percent watching Good Morning Australia while uh, you know hanging out in my underpants, wishing that I had more to do, and uh, ended up taking a job at a at a record label, a local Brisbane record label, um, which you know, should have twigged at the time that. 
I got a job called national marketing manager with no prior experience or anything like that and on a, on a wage of 25 grand a year probably should have twigged that there was something wrong but um but it was a it was a start and ended up yeah I've, I've never not worked in in music ever since so you set up your own business well that that auspicious company that I won't name that I just mentioned um, went bust after about six months, maybe because of the confidence of their national marketing manager. <laughs> um, but yeah, they uh, they had taken some cash off bands to do promotion for them, and I didn't have a job, and I was I'd resigned myself to the fact I'd be going back to uni to finish off the degree that I'd deferred and uh, just started doing their promo for, for free essentially because I felt bad for them because they'd had no budget left because the company had, you know, went gone bust yeah. with, with the money. And um, so, yeah, I think they all pitched in 20 bucks to give to my parents for the phone bill and I repped their records and then, I don't know, word of mouth and then eventually I had a business and we just kept going and... 20-something years later, we yeah. <laughs> we are where we are. But um, So if you go back to, I mean, even when your business started, we had a, a time when the way that people consumed their music and also became aware of music they liked was very different. Radio was still very big taste makers at that time. It's not the same now. We had big stadium acts, didn't we, where you, know, mm. they would, you would hear the songs on the radio. There was not many other places to hear music. And then that would get mass followings. We don't have that anymore, do we? So you've come through an era and I came from newspapers and I always thought that newspapers were in a period of massive change, but it was always a couple of years behind music. Music was more disrupted before it seemed like anyone. Maybe there was obviously uh, movies and piracy of movies, et cetera, but music just really had this disruption wave come through and it's never stopped, has it? No, it's been one thing after another, and um, I mean, and that's that's not a whinge. That is, it just is what it is. And I think, um, you know, music has always had. You know, we've had to not just rethink the technology behind it, but we've had to rethink the psychology behind it. And I think that's the bit that has been lagging. Um, we all watched you know, file sharing and, and that, that sort of technological disruption and made an assumption that that people would, uh, I, I guess, all flock to digital and that that was the way that people would consume. And, and, and largely, you know, it, it has been like that. But what we've missed is the connection that people had to artists or have to artists um, and, you know, you can see it in the upswing in, in vinyl sales now. You know, vinyl just continues to grow. Um, last year, you know, the vinyl had never been bigger. I think the last time we sold that many vinyl was sort of 1990 mm. or something like that or 1991. Um, but it's because people don't just listen to music for the utility of it. It's not like mm. electricity. For, you know, yeah. it, it's, it yeah. is something that people feel as part of their identity and making it more accessible ironically actually makes it harder for people to be part of the group or or you know feel an identity to it and the 
I guess the, the Australian culture of, um, of music was helped by the fact that you were all in it together. You knew that if you were a new band and you played on Hey Hey It's Saturday, then two million people were going to see you. Yeah. And out of that two million people, a few thousand of them were going to run down to Brashes on, um, on Monday because it wasn't open on a Sunday. And... Um, and, and buy your CD. And your cast single? Well, your cast single. Yeah, well, that's right. Not even a CD, wasn't it? So, um, but, uh, but that's the, the reality was that you could get music out to a mass audience, but also people felt a broader sense of community because they were part of that TV show community as well. Mm. Um, I think the f- music still holds that, that place in terms of community, but it's lots of little communities now rather than one big one. Yeah, so you don't have to be the band on Hey Hey It's Saturday now, but you can still get your music out there, but not to the same size audience. Well, that's right. Well, not not if you're. I mean, in the, in the same way that that it's um, that the audiences are smaller if you're going niche, you can also now go global yeah you can and yeah. still you know the, the audience that you find may still be the size that that hey hey it's saturday yep. audience was but it's not all going to be stuck in australia and yep. once again that's that's both good and bad mm. in that uh it's much easier if the two million people that see you are largely in sydney melbourne and brisbane because you can jump in the car or jump mm. on a plane and do three shows and sell lots and lots of tickets mm. Whereas if you've got two million people that love you, but there's ten of them in every town in the world, mm. you can't do a tour yeah. because it's just not viable. So there's there's commercial realities that that come into play, but I think um, yeah, I think the industry's finally realizing that um, that while there is this mass market and Adele and the Kid Leroy and and big songs like that will make millions and millions and millions of dollars. There are all of these smaller niches that are just as, uh, you know, just as, as viable and that in a lot of ways can sustain much longer-term careers as well. The, um, you know, the, the, the reason for us, um, for our media outlets, the music.com.au obviously is a very broad, you know, covers all music, but Purple Sneakers is a very youth-based, electronic-focused um, uh, publication and Country Town is, as the name suggests, focusing on country music and particularly those publications. The the audiences are not as large, but they are really passionate mm. by just being part of a music community. I think you need to find your community within music, mm. and I think part of that's also because of the way that you know, just Australia in general has mm. opened up. People are realizing now that. The, the version of Australia where everyone loved Farnsey, well, actually probably half the country loved Farnsey, but there were, you know, immigrant communities, there were Indigenous communities, there were yeah. the, Australia was a much, much more diverse place and had far more niche communities. It's just we ignored them. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas yeah. now that... Um, that ignorance is no longer viable. And so we do have all of these, um, you know, in, in music we have all of these niches that are, um, you know, completely, you know, valid and, and viable. I mean, even, you know, the Indigenous music has never been mm. bigger. You've mm. got, um, you know, metal scene doing, um, doing what it does. 
you know, those things uh, were always marginalised. Um, now with, you know, with the internet and all of those things, mm. they, they can be there, they can be valid and they can be recognised, but there's still mm. a lot of business challenges to figure out along with it. So we talk regularly and last year I was trying to keep tabs of what Greeny was up to with acquisitions of music media outlets and so <laughs> forth. And then you happened to mention something about a project you were doing with bird calls. Now, there was so much going on, I must admit I didn't pay too much attention to Greeny's bird calls project. And all of a sudden you almost knocked off the number one album at Christmas time in Australia. So what the hell happened? And can you take us back to the start when I should have paid more attention to <laughs> Greeny's Bird Calls project about what was quite a remarkable story? And this podcast is about how you engage audiences and I can't really think of a better example of a campaign to engage audiences and to get an outcome. Go back to the start. How did you get involved? Well, I think um, I, I got a call uh, a few months out from Christmas um, from Anthony Albrecht, who is from a, a thing called the Bowbird Collective, which is sort of a, a musical uh, musical collective, I guess. Um, but he's also a PhD student working with uh, with some professors that do studies and all of that stuff. Um, sorry, I'm showing how academic I am here, but. Uh, <laughs> But uh, they they'd done a uh, a a study on uh, the impacts of uh, particularly impacts of climate change and uh, and you know deforestation and, and things like that on um, Australia's native birds and um, BirdLife Australia had commissioned it and BirdLife Australia is a very large and anyway so so Anthony called me up and and he'd um, come up with the idea. For, um, from a musical standpoint or a you know, sound recording standpoint that, um, that wouldn't it be cool if we released a song that, would, uh, that we could potentially get in the charts to shine a light on the, this report, which, um, yeah, the takeout statistic was that one in six Australian bird species will be dead in, you know, if, if we don't mm. change course. So he rings you because you're a marketing and publicity specialist to say, hey, we've got this idea. Yeah. What do you think about it and how do we get it out? Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, so, so they had recorded, uh, they had about 50 recordings of, um, of, vari of the, the species that would disappear. And they'd created a track about three minutes long, essentially a, a, a chorus of all of these birds remixed in together. Um, it's quite a beautiful piece. Um, with no music, no just music, that? just, just yep. the bird calls. Um, so um, he actually disappeared then for about a month and I didn't hear anything back and it was like the middle of November and he was like, great, we've got some funding, let's, <laughs> let's do this project. And so we kind of had a, I think we had a five-week or six-week lead time. Um, the first thing that we did was, was to create an album out of the, um, out of the calls because if the idea is to chart the thing, um, streaming, you know, to, to get to the top of the singles chart with streaming, you'd need to do a million, two million streams, which is very difficult to do, um, even with a large niche audience. Whereas the number of albums that you need to sell 
um, you, know, of, you know, physical CDs to get in the chart these days is, is not nearly as much as it used to be. So um, we should frame this too by saying this is November. Yeah. And the, some of the big record labels are targeting Christmas, big names. So you're wading into a pool that's a pretty deep pool because we've got the likes of Adele and others. Yeah. Uh, and and you've also you've got those. I mean, the, the other challenge is obviously six months, six weeks out from Christmas. Yeah, um, we can't even put a CD in stores. Mm. So um, yeah, really, the the idea was that we had faith that the bird community was large enough that we could build um, the support from them to pre-order the album so that when it came out, we were charting on, I guess, direct-to-consumer sales. Um, then it was just we, we brought in um, MGM Distribution who were able to move like lightning. I think we had a, a web store up within, you know, 24, 48 hours um, to be able to go out to that community and start taking pre-orders. Um, and we, you know, Anthony quickly whipped up some cover artwork and we had to get some CDs in to press very quickly. Um, takes about two weeks to get CDs back. So um, if you figure, uh, you know, we, we really didn't have much time to waste. Um, and so then what, what are your expectations at the time of this? You're doing all this work. What, 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 are you, what, what are your goals and what's your expectations from that marketing publicity side? Sure. Well, I mean, I, fr- from, a, from a logistical side, I thought we could do it. Um, I, we, while the messaging was always we want to knock Adele off number one, um, we never actually expected to get there. It was about, about bringing, um, bringing a community together for a purpose and um, by framing it in, in in the way that almost, you know, a purchase of this is, I mean, to start with, all the money was going to BirdLife Australia. So mm. there's no issues with, um, you know, people chucking 10 bucks out to, to buy a digital download of it was a donation that bird lovers were likely to make mm. to an organisation like that anyway. And it was you know, framed as a vote for the birds, essentially. And, you know, the research is really important. The message getting out there is really important. Therefore, if we can amplify the message of the report, um, it will get it out to a, an audience that isn't usually sitting around reading mm. bird reports. Mm. And, um, you know, obviously coming up with that messaging was important and... You know, it, it resonated and people pre-ordered it in very large numbers. <laughs> what were the keys out of that? Because it's great to have that niche um, area, but like you say, also people who aren't reading bird reports, etc. Mm. Now, this is where the Stephen Green love of a pun. I've worked in, <laughs> uh, I've worked in newsrooms for a number of years, which you have a lot of people who are extremely good at puns and greeny you could be up there in the elite of that you do have a great pun brain i'm not sure what that's worth but on this occasion it's been worth a lot but this was your idea of the songbirds can you tell us about that oh i mean i think our our press release had oh, it would have been about 15 different uh you know winging it to the top <laughs> and um 
Like, oh, just yeah, every every single thing that you could imagine. You must have loved doing soaring, that. and you know, there's just yeah, it was it was it was definitely uh, one of my main drivers for doing it. Even if it didn't chart, I was always going to have fun with the press release and uh, nods to Mitch in my office who also contributed many of those uh, <laughs> of those puns. So what but, are we at? like? The Songbirds one was a take on Adele, most likely being the key player in terms of number one at Christmas. Yeah, and even just like little things, you know, there's a. Um, yeah, there was a, fo- a, comp- a composite photo that we did with um, like a parrot staring down Adele, like in a in the traditional um, sort of you know WrestleMania kind of <laughs> kind of thing. Because Adele was kind enough to to do a shot on her album of her looking to the side, which was perfect for it. Um, but you know, think things like that. That we, it was about taking something that was really serious and turning it into something that. That was fun, and I, I'm not going to say not serious because it, it it is still a serious topic. But it was about showing that you don't have to be dry to be serious. Mm. And um, you know, I mean, to be fair, the it was a, a hard slog. I mean, the, in terms of yeah, our goal was to get a little bit of promo happening beforehand to stoke this the orders. Um, and that was really tough. We, we went to, you know, lots and lots of journalists were just incredulous because they didn't believe, you know, essentially they were like, well, you're not going to knock off Adele. How could this happen? It was so far Did, did they even think you'd, you'd chart in a high position at all? No, no, I don't think anyone thought we would. I, I always thought we would because, because of maths. And I knew that, you know, it, it was the hardest time of year to chart if um, th- th- those December weeks are the are the highest selling for albums because everyone's buying Adele for their grandma, um, it, it, it's the hardest task. But obviously we had to link in with when the report was announced or there would have been no point in, in doing it. You, um, but do you know journalists really well? And the, yeah. And the music journalists and they're, they're a really good bunch who know their topic really well. Um, but I'm guessing that... You coming with this idea, they probably thought, what, Greeny's just lost the plot here a bit or he's just overspinning this. Oh, overspinning, 100%. I've got more important things to write about for my readers than Greeny's Bird Project. Absolutely. And and I think um, it, it did surprise a lot of people when it happened. Um, and in some ways almost have a, it actually pent up a lot of of the coverage that we got so that when it debuted at number five we had a lot more to roll than if they'd have actually run it beforehand anyway so things actually worked out in our favor i think and the so it was that when the coverage really picked up when you debut at number five on yes. the aria album chart so that the the fifth most popular album in australia that week were songs of disappearance. Yes, and it it actually to, you know to be fair, it took a few days. To we just had to keep pushing the message that it had happened, because even even after it happened, people were still incredulous that of of, of what it was and what it meant. Um, we did end up. Um, I, I think it was. I think it was the ABC on the Tuesday after that, that they did a, a report that really started the ball rolling. Um, in, I mean, obviously we had a lot of coverage before then, but that really tipped it over. 
and you could just see a, a cascade effect like you very rarely see where, I, I mean, by the end of that week, um, we had so much coverage that, that the CD went up in the chart to number three in its second week, which was not part of any plan. <laughs> and the idea was always we'd get the peak on that week based on all of the bird enthusiasts and then we'd go and have Christmas and never, you know, we'd have achieved our goal. No one expected that the second week, because of everyone jumping on board because of the media coverage, it, it went up. Um, and to number three. Who was in front of you? Who, were, who was one and two? Uh, Adele was number one and... Who was number two? I, th I think it may have been Ed Sheeran. Yeah, it was Adele and Ed Sheeran. So number one, Adele. Number two, Ed Sheeran. Number three... Australian Bird Calls. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, there was an air of the, the, the... You know, watching the way that the Christmas number one campaigns roll out in the UK. Um, I mean, you know, there's no such thing as an original idea, right? Um, but that we, we took you know a lot of a lot of things that that work over there a lot of the uh, you know like I said the knowledge of, of how you know passionate the bird enthusiasts are here and we just kind of put it all together in in a way that you know it, it just helped making things simple if if we'd have tried to go and sign a big major label deal or you know do things that otherwise, you know, people might think were the way to do it. You just couldn't have done it. We just needed something to just absolutely get it down to the bare minimum of things to do and just go and do them. And, and for those listening who think, oh, I don't remember driving past a billboard in December and seeing <laughs> a big Songs of Disappearance uh, album promo, that's because there was none because... Your budget for this was how many dollars? Zero. We had, no, other than us coming up with things, we did not have an advertising budget whatsoever. Um, so, so just a bit less than the Adele and Ed Sheeran budgets? Yes. Yeah, I, I think, uh, yeah, Times Square billboards and things like that were a little bit out of our reach. But but I think that's the, that's the beauty of music and that's the thing that I've always loved to do is to prove that you can actually run things on passion and that you can run... Like, music is the thing that people will emotionally go for. And, you know, particularly in a, in a situation like this, it's all music marketing is word of mouth. The only reason to do advertising is to stoke the word of mouth. And in this case, we worked out that we didn't need to advertise to do the word of mouth because... To start with, we had a captured audience of bird enthusiasts that could give us the springboard that we needed and then the journalists that would then talk about the fact that we'd done the thing that we did, that would then take it to the next level. And I think, um, yeah, there, there was a couple of days there that I wondered whether I was crazy because when we, we first hit number one and the journalists didn't jump on straight away... Um, I did second guess it until all of a sudden it did get a roll on. And in the end we had, you know, the BBC news in the UK, TV news was running pieces on it. 
We've had big specials on NPR in the States. We've had CBS News in the States. We've had... Washington Post as well. Washington Post. We've, like, for a while, it, it almost got to a point where we, we were all just sitting back having a chuckle going, oh, my God, like, what, <laughs> what else could possibly come in? Oh, yeah, Washington Post. You know, it's like those things come in because, the, because people think it's newsworthy. It's, it's fun. It's something but particularly in the world right now it's people need a bit of a like a, a more light-hearted well not that it, once again i come back to the fact that yeah. one in six birds are going to die yeah. but the the fact that birds are in the chart is kind of cool and, but also, and why wouldn't they be it's the power of the opposite too and you look back on stories that really strike a chord and it's often the power of the opposite so the opposite thing happens to what you expect it to be. So you look down the charts pre-Christmas in Australia, number one is Adele, yeah, okay. Number two is Ed Sheeran, yeah, fair enough. Number three is what? Endangered Australian birds, which is that power of the opposite with zero marketing budget, but with the ability to hit those audiences that send the word around in an era in which you couldn't have done it, could you, when you first started your business? You couldn't possibly have got an album as that high with zero marketing budget. No, I mean, and and you know, the, I mean, it's a, a lot of it is about um, yeah, the idea of culture lagging a little as well. I mean, a, a number one album when I kicked off my business would be doing thirty thousand units a week. Um, you know, a, a number one album now. Um, yeah, even over Christmas is like ten thousand, and and this time of the year couple of thousand three thousand maybe it's not like it's not unachievable um so how do those album charts work now in terms of we know with the singles charts streaming plays a role etc so it's a weighted um mm. i guess awarding of number one two etc what about the album chart how is that the album chart includes streaming as well but um based on the the, the fact that you need I mean, it's it's a complicated mm. thing, but essentially, the the big singles off the albums are cut, and so that the the top two singles are out, and the album tracks are combined, so yep. that they they figure out well that was probably a yeah. a stream of the album, but um, it's weighted in a way that obviously a CD sale or a digital sale mm. is far more than than what yeah you've got to do a lot of streams to equal a CD yes. sale, so because it's people going out and and getting their yeah product. yeah so so still um, it's still at least fifty percent plus of of what's counting in those charts are people putting their money on the table and, and buying a record. So you can um, yeah, you, you can still do good things when you've got passionate audiences that want to buy something as opposed to just stream it. So you had you, you know, hitting number five pre-Christmas. Fantastic. Job mm. done here. Let's sort of pack up and have well, a... Well, then we hit number three. Yes, that's right. <laughs> then three. So you've gone, oh, hang on, we were going to pack up and put our feet up for Christmas. We've hit three. So the interest is there. So I'm guessing you don't just walk away now and look for the next acquisition for the green media <laughs> empire. How do you actually build on this? What's next? Well, the thing that we were that, that we didn't expect was obviously that um, yeah, it was a it was supposed to be well, it was expected to be a protest vote, a um, you know something to to vote for the birds, and. You know, by getting the chart position, we had essentially um, achieved what we set out to do. Um, but 
people really wanted the record. We, we, had, we had calls in those weeks before Christmas from JB Hi-Fi and Sanity both going, we need this album, we need to stock this album. Um, so people are ringing them asking for it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, um, I mean, I've never had – in 20 years I've never had <laughs> retailers begging us to let them stock an album, but <laughs> here we are. Um, but really then it, then it changed to going, well, not – you know, aside from, you know, the, the, the voting, this is actually a product that people really love and people were emailing going, this is amazing, we love listening to the birds and like, okay, well – Let's let's do something more. We couldn't actually sell any to JB Hi-Fi and Sanity because we'd done it at the lowest possible cost by doing them in a little cardboard wallet, and you know it was that they were never expected to be a proper retail product. So we um, decided at that point we couldn't manufacture any stock because the CD plants shut down over Christmas and things like that. So we actually removed. Um, it from sale and we created a deluxe edition. Um, the other thing that people wanted was the liner notes to tell them mm. about the birds and all of those mm. sorts of things. So, and, and obviously the cardboard wallet was just to go to the website to check out what the birds are. Yeah. Um, so we, we've created a deluxe edition which includes, you know, 48-page or something or 24-page, whatever it is, booklet with all of, you know, the information about the birds and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and... It gave us the opportunity over Christmas to be able to do the artwork, get it in for pressing and get things ready for JB Hi-Fi and Sanity and, uh, and we've been doing pre-sales for that over that period as well and that'll go into retail the first week of February. So this is the next step then, the retail into the big stores and we'll see what happens with uh, Songs of Disappearance from there. Yeah, I mean we... Uh, reasonably confident given the um you know given the interest and given the pre-orders for that version of the album that we've already got um you know we uh, i know we said that we thought we would get to number one before and we didn't so no one it's going to be like the boy that cried wolf but um (laughs) but we actually think that at this point we we are in for a pretty decent chance of finally coming in and uh getting that top spot if we were to catch up again in a year's time, this is a completely hypothetical question, but in a year's time and say, what was 2022 like for the music industry? What do you think you'd be saying? Uh, I'm known as being the eternal optimist, thus, thus why I'm investing in the industry that everyone else is falling out of. Um, but I suspect that we're going to see a renaissance um, for the music industry maybe uh, I, I might be a little ahead of myself we might be talking 2023 uh, we might be talking 2024 I'm not sure but um, you know my gut says that yes this COVID wave that we're currently in is probably going to be a bit nasty for another couple of months but that you know as people get used to and particularly up here in Queensland you know I think yeah, we've probably got a slightly different mind, you know, headspace. Sydney and Melbourne have been living with this a lot longer than we have. It is a bit of a shock to go for, a, you know, five cases a month to go to 50 billion cases every second <laughs> right now. But, um, you yeah, know, I think we are going to, to be living with it in a much more healthy way. But also when people can get back out there and when people can go and see gigs and when the when the 
the worry of of am I going to get sick and what does this mean as it as it passes? Um, yeah, I think we are going to see a renaissance of of audiences, but also of creativity. I think everyone. It was interesting when COVID first hit, and everyone was like, "Oh, all the artists are going to be squirreling away in their, you know, in their isolation, and they're going to be coming up with amazing music, and it's like it's all going to come out." And I think what actually happened was, you know, musicians largely had no money, got depressed, and I don't know that 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 is what happened. I think great music comes on the flip side of these things. And, you know, I suspect the, the levels of creativity as things open up and as things get, you know, better again, we're going to get into a post-war kind of mm. uh, mindset, I mm. suspect, where music is going to innovate. The People will want new things. People will want to go out mm. and... You know the the and the music industry is is going to have an opportunity to rebuild in a far more twenty first century way that will will actually keep it in you know much better stead in a in a longer term capacity. I think. And if our listeners are thinking, oh, what new music should I listen to at the moment? What's the recommendation from the Green Stable about oh. music to listen to? Music to listen to right now. I mean, I, I think this is the, the, the most interesting thing, right? Like the, we, we were having this, this discussion in, um, in the office the other day about, about the role of, of reviews and the, and the role of opinions um, in, in music right now. There's just such a massive opportunity for people to eke out their own favourites. Um, yeah, go to, the, go to Hottest 100 and listen to a whole bunch of tracks and figure out for yourself what what tunes you're loving. And that is the next step for the music industry, I think. Going back to what we are saying about, you know, two million, two million people seeing a band play on Hey Hey mm. It's Saturday. Well, now it's about your Spotify or your Apple Music algorithm figuring out all of the things that you've listened to in the past and going, how about you try this new thing out? And the the power of music is that, you almost don't need someone to tell you what to listen to now. You can figure out based on your own taste what you want to do and go and tell your friends what they should listen to. But having said all that, Hinterland, country artists from the Gold Coast, go check out uh, their stuff on, on Spotify or Apple Music now. Good Particularly plug. if you're into uh, you know, a, a pop country kind of stuff. Good plug. Um, yeah. In, in the month, of course, it, uh, we lost Meatloaf and given all the retrospective about Bat Out of Hell, if the critics had had their way, not many people would have heard Bat Out of Hell, but there you go. How many million copies later? Goodness knows. Well, that's right. I mean, that, that got terrible reviews, but I, I think Meatloaf stopped count, counting after the first of the 24 Platinums that he sold, right? <laughs> who, right. who cares what critics think? <laughs> Except for the critics on the music.com.au. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, what have I done? <laughs> on that note, we look forward to the Platinums for Songs of Disappearance. Stephen Green, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me.